Well, last week, um, we listened to Jesus's instructions for a fulfilled life. And as we were listening to reading what Jesus was saying, uh, he, we heard him say uh, that unless our righteousness is greater than that of the Pharisees, we will not see the kingdom of heaven. Uh, basically, unless our goodness, our being in right standing with God is greater than those who are experts in the law, uh, that we won't see heaven. And I think as we hear it, it sounds like one of those incredibly impossible tasks, right? As though Jesus is setting us up for something that is unattainable. I mean, if these are the requirements, uh, who of us could ever live the kind of life that could earn heaven, right? Who of us uh, can be that kind of good? Jesus then follows up that statement with six statements that seem to make any kind of idea of earning righteousness even more impossible. Six statements that make having a right relationship with God and others even more difficult. Over the next four weeks, we're going to explore these six statements a little bit more. Statements where Jesus says, you've heard it said this, but, but I tell you this. And we're going to hear how Jesus teaches us that it's possible to live a fulfilled life. How we can find righteousness not in what we do, but in what he's done for us. And so this morning we're going to be reading in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. I'd invite you to open up your Bibles with me there. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 26. Jesus says... You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. If you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. If you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you're offering your gift at the altar... If you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, where your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. So the common law in Jesus' day was you shall not murder. It's a pretty common law, I think, in most most societies, most places. It's one of the Ten Commandments. You know, it's one of the big ten. Uh, it's something that's pretty basic. I imagine it's something that most people can agree on, right? It's not a good thing to murder people. Uh, and And if that's the litmus test for heaven... Now, I imagine most of us would feel pretty good. You know, I, most of us, I hope, could say, you know, I've never murdered anybody. You know, I've, I've accomplished this. I've checked that box, tax complete, uh, and we would feel pretty good about our chances. Uh, but Jesus says, that's not good enough. <laughs> you haven't murdered anybody, that's good. What about anger? You ever been mad at somebody? You ever been angry? Have you ever insulted somebody? Have you ever cried out, you fool? Have you ever said or looked or thought about somebody in a way that, that dehumanizes them, that, that takes away their personhood? 
And I think sometimes, you know, when we hear Jesus make these kind of statements, you've heard it said, but I say, and we hear this kind of this tightening, this, uh, this uh, more complex and complete version of what God desires for us, we, we kind of think, well, maybe Jesus is just trying to make a point, right? Like, surely he doesn't mean that me being angry with somebody is the same thing as me murdering them. But I don't think Jesus is just speaking in hyperbole here. I don't think that he's just exaggerating. Instead, what Jesus is doing is he's, he's trying to call us into a greater righteousness than the Pharisees. A, a right relationship with God and others isn't about just being able to check the box of what's taking place on the outside. But it's about looking into the condition of our hearts. Like what's going on inside that produces those outward actions. You know, the letter of the law might be not to murder anyone, but the will of God that inspires the law runs a little bit deeper than that. If you're angry with your brother or sister, if you insult them or dehumanize them, you're going to experience the same judgment as murder. See, in essence, Jesus is saying that our anger towards others, our bitterness towards others, the things that we hold in our hearts against one another have the same kind of effect. Our insults, our anger towards others causes us to treat people as though we wish they had never existed. Our anger uh, cuts people out of our lives. It puts up walls that people can't break through. It creates that kind of separation and distinction. Our bitterness tears people down. It removes uh, life from them. You know, you don't have to murder somebody to do significant damage to them. I heard one preacher tell of his 90-year-old grandmother who hadn't sung a note in 80 years. Because when she was 10 years old, she was singing and somebody insulted her singing voice. And she decided that she was never going to sing again. And words can cut deep. They leave lasting wounds. I mean, how many of us have experienced times whenever our our dreams, our hopes have been crushed by by a word that came across just a little bit cruel or a little bit condescending? We've experienced that similar kind of hurt and pain within our own lives. And what Jesus is saying is, is hard stuff for us. I imagine most of us can't say that we've never been angry or that we've never thrown out insult towards others Jesus is calling us to something greater. See, uh, most of us have probably at some point in time found ourselves involved in some sort of squabble or some sort of debate or some sort of, you know, uh, discussion with somebody where we disagreed. When we went into those conversations, are you able to keep your cool? Are you able to stay calm? When the frustration, when anxiety of the life builds up around you, are you able uh, to, to keep it all kind of pushed down? Are you able to hand it over to God and let him do a work so that it doesn't result in lashing out at others? You know, one of the, I think, great challenges of our time is that we are so quick to move to insult. We are so quick to move to try to attack somebody's character. And we find ourselves in a disagreement with somebody rather than... Uh, discussing and arguing based on the merits of the argument, we just go straight into attacking, straight into tearing down the person. It's what we see on TV, it's what we see in social media, and we find ourselves easily just joining into this culture of insult, where we no longer hear people that we disagree with. We just find our our blood boiling all the more. We lash out and we attack. Jesus is saying there's a better way for us. That's not going to lead to a fulfilling life. It's going to hurt you, and in the process, it's going to hurt others. 
And I wish I could say that I was free from the way that anger affects my life. I wish I could say that I was free from the sin of my anger hurting people around me because I've seen the damage it does, but it's one of those areas where God still needs to work in my life. You know, there's a a memory that's forever etched into my brain of how my anger has impacted people around me. Uh, One evening, my daughter, Abby, was having a hard time at the dinner table, and she got into trouble. Uh, And I was already a little bit frustrated about some other things that were taking place. I had some stresses that I was dealing with. And so as she was acting up or not making a good decision, I raised my voice a little bit. and, and raised it enough to where she started crying. And, and rather than noticing that there was something going on, that maybe I was out of line, I, I kind of doubled down into it. You know, my, my response was probably, you know, well, you shouldn't be crying. I should be crying because of what you did. And so then, of course, she just kept crying all the more. And, and so as she kept crying, I got a little bit louder and, and basically, you know, stop crying before I give you something to cry about. I don't know if anybody's ever heard that line before. <laughs> I swore, I swore I would never use that, but then there I was. And when I said this, she looked at me and just as clear as the sun shining through a storm cloud said, I can't stop crying because you keep yelling at me. And Church, uh, I mean, her words pierced my heart. You know, I was just silent in the moment. I could see the hurt on her face like a, like a piece of innocence was lost. A piece of my ability to influence her for good kind of just washed to the side. And, and I wish I could say that was the last time that I raised my voice. But, but like all of us, like we continue to need God's ongoing work within us. Because our anger, when it builds up, when it piles up, it just comes out and it hurts the people that we love, the people that we care about. Even our anger towards people that we might not necessarily like does damage to our own souls in the process. I think in part, this is why Jesus sets the bar so high. Because Jesus knows the things that exist within our hearts. He knows that whenever what's in us, whenever the the hurt, whenever the wounds, whenever the anger, whatever the insults that have been said towards us, whenever it boils up and flows out, that it just multiplies the hurt all around, that our own hurts well up within us and they come out and begin to hurt the people around us. And if it was simply about not murdering, most of us wouldn't even take the time to look into our hearts and realize that we need God to do some work. We could just say, well, I don't murder anybody. I've checked that box. I'm okay. I'm all well and good. But as soon as Jesus says, if you're angry, you're going to be liable to the same judgment as murder, it makes us pause and stop and say, oh, maybe there's something in me that's not quite right the way that God wants it to be. See, Jesus knows that when we sow seeds of anger in the lives of others, that the fruit of anger and hurt just multiplies. It begins to affect more and more and more people. Jesus knows that in order for the destructive nature of our anger and insults to be stopped, that the hurt and the bitterness and the anxieties and all of the sin that resides within our hearts that produces that has to be ripped out at the roots. If we just check off that box... I haven't murdered anybody, I'm all right. And we don't address what's in our hearts. We miss out on the fulfilled life that God has for us. Our unrighteousness will prevent us from being able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
So Jesus challenges us to see how our anger, how our insults do harm to others who've been made in the image of God, those who Jesus has also died for, like us. And then Jesus shows us and teaches us a new way. Jesus challenges us to have a righteousness that's greater than the Pharisees, and then he offers his righteousness to us. In verse 23, Jesus says, When you are offering your gift at the altar... If you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Jesus is saying if you're angry with somebody, don't let it fester in your hearts. Go and talk to them. Somebody's done something and it's created hurt within your life. Don't just let it sit there. Don't let that seed of bitterness take root within you because it's going gonna, it's gonna to grow up. And you know what? Maybe you don't take it out on the person who actually hurt you. But that seed of bitterness, that seed of hurt, the wounds that are there, it's going to grow up. And it's going to produce fruit in your life. It's going to lead to anger and bitterness towards somebody else. It doesn't matter who it was that did the thing to you. Somebody else is probably going to get the detrimental end of it. Somebody's hurt you. Don't let that seed of hurt find roots in your soul. Don't let the insults that people have offered your way be the thing that defines you. Rip it out before it sinks down in. Jesus says that if you know that you've done something that's hurt somebody else, go and speak to them. You've thrown out an insult even just casually. You've spoken angrily to somebody else. Go and talk to them. Let them know, I'm sorry for what I've done before that seed is planted within their heart, before it grows into something bigger in their life. Jesus says these are practices that lead to a more fulfilled life to seek repentance, to practice confession, to name it out loud, to name the places where uh, you've done things that have been hurtful to others, to name the places where people have done things that have been hurtful to you, to seek reconciliation with others, and to seek reconciliation with God. And as far as it's up to you, to try to find a way to restore fellowship, to restore peace with the people uh, who you've hurt. And if we're not sure how to do this, if we're not sure how this takes place, Jesus models it for us. You know, Jesus is God in flesh who came to be reconciled with us. See, all of us have sinned against God. We are all unrighteous. If you've ever been angry, which I think is most of us, if you've ever thrown out an insult, which I... I'm on social media. I see some of the things that people say on Facebook too. Uh, If you've uh, ever done any of these things, then you've sinned against God. And there's nothing that any of us can do to make reconciliation happen on our own. There's no amount of good things that we do that ever quite make up for the hurt that we've caused in the world, for the damage that we've done in our relationship with God. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, took on flesh in the person of Jesus to come and to offer forgiveness to us. While we were the offending party, Jesus came to forgive us by taking on the penalty of our sin and his death and raising up to new life and offering us new life in his resurrection. 
As our July memory verse says from Isaiah 53, 5, it says, He was pierced for our transgressions because of the things that we have done that's wrong. He was crushed for our iniquities, for our angry words, for our insults that we've thrown out. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we have been healed. There's a, there's a saying that says, hurt people, hurt people. And oftentimes that's the story of our anger, the story of our insults. We've, we've experienced hurt within our lives. It exists, it resides within our hearts. Uh, try as we can, we haven't been able to rip it out on our own. We haven't been able to deal with it. Some of us have stuff that goes all the way back to just uh, little children that we haven't been able to quite process and let go of and get out of the way. And, and out of the hurt that we've experienced within our lives, we in turn end up hurting others. But there's another truth uh, that says healed people heal people. What this means is that if we've uh, experienced healing through Christ, but we have the opportunity to be able to offer healing to others. And really, we don't have anything to offer to others unless we first experience that same kind of healing work within our lives through Jesus ourselves. And we have the opportunity to be the change in the world around us by pursuing reconciliation with others as we allow Christ to do a healing work within us. When we're able to acknowledge and say, you know what, God, I... I have sinned against you. When we can say in the words of Paul, you know, I'm I'm the greatest of all sinners. And we recognize the the depth, the totality of God's love and grace that's been offered to us. And we receive that gift of forgiveness. It does a work of changing us uh, from deep down within. We become a people who experiences healing and then can offer it to others. If we just feel like, you know what, I'm a pretty good person and I can check all the boxes We might not experience and know that same depth of grace as when we're able to say, you know what, I'm I'm the vilest of all sinners. I know I've done a whole lot. That's created a whole lot of hurt and harm in the lives of others. I've sinned against God and I am in such need of his grace. And I have nothing to count on but the mercy that God has shown me in Jesus Christ. When we avail ourselves to his love, we allow him to enter in to truly do that transforming work within us. Those who know how much they have been forgiven, how much they have been loved, the great cost are able to forgive and love others the most. Jesus you know, tells kind of this quick parable about this. Uh, there's two people who are in the temple, a Pharisee and this uh, other person. The Pharisee's sitting there, you know, he's an expert in the law. He's the person who appears to be righteous to all the world. And, and he's going up to pray and he, he looks over and he lifts his head up to God and he says, God, thank you that I'm not like those other people. Thank you that I'm not like those sinners over there. He thinks that he's got it right and he's got it all figured out that he's righteous on his own. And then the other person uh, cries out to God and says, Lord, have mercy upon me, for I'm a sinner. And Jesus says, which prayer do you think God hears? The person who cries out, who recognizes their need for mercy. God enters in and he does a healing work within that person's life because the person is open to it. And as God comes in and he offers his healing grace and love and forgiveness and mercy within us, It enables us to become that kind of people who offer healing to others. You see, we can't give what we don't have. We can't offer to others what we haven't been offered ourselves. And so we have to allow God to dig up the roots of anger and anxiety and hurt within us. 
We have to allow him to plant the seeds of grace and righteousness within us so that the fruit that's produced grows and begins to affect those around us so that we become a people who've been transformed by his grace, people who bear the fruit of his love and his forgiveness in our lives and in our relationships with the people around us. Let us pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for the grace that you have offered to us through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you have been merciful towards us. That you've offered us this gift of reconciliation. And that you've entrusted it to us. You've called us, invited us to be your ambassadors of reconciliation. Ambassadors of your kingdom. To be a people who experience your healing and offer it to others. And so, Lord, we pray that you would continue that work of healing within us. We pray that uh, we might grow more and more aware of your great love for us. And then in turn, we might become a people who are able to offer and to share that love more and more with those around us. Give us a courage to seek reconciliation. Give us a compassion for others around us who are hurting. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.